Just because you're threatening people and people are jealous of your success does not mean you go back and you play small, which I had to learn the hard way because I reverted a little bit. I went back into my shell and then I took a year and a half to come back out of the shell and this is me coming out of the shell. But there's just been so much. I think I've learned about the value of failing fast, of just, of not overthinking everything, but then also taking that fail fast method and actually applying it to gain wisdom and not just, oh, I'm just a spaz and I'm going to screw everything up. Welcome to the Homeschool CEO Podcast, the podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs who want to successfully homeschool their kids while running a profitable business. In this podcast, we'll reveal the truth of what it really looks like behind the scenes of an entrepreneur who homeschools and how to make it all work. If you're an entrepreneur who currently homeschools or you want to start, you are in the right place, my friend. With 16 years experience combining entrepreneurship with homeschooling, I'm your host, Jen Myers, and this is the Homeschool CEO Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Homeschool CEO Podcast. I have a question for you. Do you believe it is possible to go from living in subsidized housing to making seven figures in less than three years. You know, today's guest shows us that it is 100% possible. Kirsten Terrell is a powerhouse action taker that is going to inspire you to dream bigger and take action even when you don't feel like you have the plan all figured out. And I'm so excited for you to meet her. But first, I want to share a quick love note from one of our incredible listeners. Zara PhD says, Oh, Jen, what a breath of fresh air. Thank you for being a voice to homeschooling business owners. It's so great to, one, have someone advocating for this lifestyle, and two, reminding us that we are not alone, and three, offering great insight on how to make it work. What a blessing you are giving so many. Thank you so much, Sarah, for your incredible just love and for listening in every single week. I appreciate you. Now, are you ready to be inspired by Kirsten's story? Me too. Let's dive in. Kirsten, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy we met on the on the interwebs and now I get to be here chatting with you face-to-face-ish. It's amazing. So for all of you who are listening right now, Kirsten and I didn't know each other. We actually met in a clubhouse room. Were we both in the audience or were we both up on stage? I have no idea. I just know I saw you. I looked at your bio and I was like, we need to collaborate. And I DM'd you right away because that's how clubhouse works, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And then it turned into this beautiful friendship. And now we host a room together every single week with a few other incredible women that all, we talk about mom, entrepreneur, everything. Like it's so much fun. So I'm so excited for my audience to meet you and just to learn from you today. Awesome. All right. So tell us a little bit about you and where you came from. I was born in a little, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Maybe not that far back. Not that far back. <laughs> my, my mompreneur, entrepreneur mom journey started about five years ago when we were living in subsidized housing in Southern California 
And we were surrounded by all these people who had way more money than us, but yet they had a lot more time than us too. They were running on the beach trail in the middle of the afternoon. We're like, what are we not getting here? <laughs> and my husband worked in nonprofit. And so he's seeing all these donors and he's seeing all this money coming in for nonprofit for people his age who are doing their own business. And so we're just, we, we kind of had our attention peaked. We were like, there's something in our traditional way of living that we've missed and so I actually ended up, I was a photographer and I took pictures for a couple that needed podcast cover art. And back then podcasting was still brand new. I thought you had to pay to listen to podcasts. And so I show up to the photo shoot and I'm like, what are we doing here on the beach? Like they're, I thought they ran a business, but they're here like jumping on the beach for pictures. Well, their podcast was called Eight Minute Millionaire and they were friends of mine too. They were, do you know who they are? I do know who they are. Yep. Okay. So they... Uh, they were in our church congregation. And I was like, okay, what is this all about? My husband and I started binging their podcast. We're like, they're about our age. They have three kids. They're millionaires. We're not. We need to learn from them. So we just kind of started sponging everything that they had to offer. And that we took really, really fast action because within a few months, we had started a couple of different things. I had started my podcast, Marvelous Moms Club, which is now Marvelous Mompreneur. Um, we had started an Amazon FBA business. I had started an online shop. I, I it was kind of just like that. I'll try every business model at the same time. That will for sure work, which was really opposite of what I was learning on I Minute Millionaire. Cause we were like, there's a million ways to make a million dollars. If you try to do them all, <laughs> it won't work. But I like to learn things the hard way. So that's what I did. I learned things the hard way and, uh, but had a lot of success because I started podcasting when I was still relatively new, like I said, and I was doing five episodes a week grew my network really, really fast. I did not know what I was doing, but it was like, it just worked. I, I had no idea what networking was. I wasn't using social media. I had, I had no plan. All I knew was I was listening to EO Fire, John Lee Dumas. I can monetize my podcast. I'm just going to go for it. So my goal all along was just to have sponsors and monetize the podcast that way. And what ended up happening is that just built my network so massively, I uh, was able to use that network and all those really close connections. It was mostly my previous guests that joined other business ventures with me. And so we just, over time, I think in under three years, made seven figures. And that was our goal was to become millionaires in a year. It didn't happen in a year, but it happened in a few. And now we're just kind of continuing to refine what we're doing. And I'm in like the education space. And I think that's where I was meant to be all along because I love teaching people. That's why I started the podcast. So did I even breathe in that? That was like, how fast can I tell a really long story? <laughs> okay. So that was amazing. So let's go back a little bit. So you okay. have three kids and mm -hmm. you're back in subsidized housing, you and your husband and three kids, correct? Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's so funny is my husband and I, we also had a similar background. We came from a middle-class family, but then we had four kids back to back. Like we didn't have any money. You yeah. know, people look at me now and they just assume, oh, this is where Jen's always been. But I'm like, no, actually 17 years ago, I was getting, I was, we had food stamps. Like they don't even call it food stamps anymore. That's how old I am. But you know, like we were getting assistance with food and medical care and all of these things. And we didn't have anything. So yeah. I, I was there. So let's talk about, you said you had this moment where you looked at these other people and your husband was looking at these other people going, what do they know that I don't? Mm -hmm. And now you're looking back and going, wow, I built this business. So what were some of the lessons that you learned along the way to get you from the subsidized housing to where you are now? Oh my gosh, that's a really loaded question. How long do we have? There are so, so many and they all have built upon each other, right? And I was just saying the other day how the five years ago me would be so, I'd be slapping myself now because I still have 
the limiting beliefs of like, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm, I'm worthy of this. I don't know if I can grow it this big. I'm really pushing to outdream myself. And I'm like, man, five years ago, I knew nothing. And I was way more fearless. So I almost think like, there's been some, there's been some things that you learn as you progress through that almost inhibit you a little bit because there's no more naivete. You're not like, oh, I'm ignorance is bliss and I can do whatever I want. I can make a million dollars in a year. Why not? I read thinking about rich. Anything's possible, right? Yes. <laughs> so I think it's like a wisdom of, there's so many layers of business of just, you know, the, the technicalities. Like I know how to, I didn't know I was a marketer. Now I know I'm a really, really good marketer. And so it's been like a, a lesson of what are my skills really? And what do I have to contribute? And that has built upon each other just little by little by little. I've become really, really good at the technical aspect of business. Um, I've definitely learned a lot about, and this was the, the great thing in the beginning was nobody really hated me. I didn't have people who wanted me to fail. And I was like reading about this in books that apparently this happens. But I was like, man, I've really lived in this safe little bubble and I don't really get mean emails and everybody's great. And then there just came a point in my business where I got really, really successful. And I had to experience that, you know, that learning point of just because you're threatening people and people are jealous of your success does not mean you go back and you play small, which I had to learn the hard way because I reverted a little bit. I went back into my shell and then I took a year and a half to come back out of the shell. And this is me coming out of the shell. <laughs> this is the process of rebirth in business. Um, so I feel like I, I could attack that question with so many different answers, um, but there's just been so much. I think I've learned about the value of failing fast, of just, of not overthinking everything, but then also taking that fail fast method and actually applying it to gain wisdom and not just, oh, I'm just a spaz and I'm going to screw everything up. It's okay. What happened here? What can I take from that? That's going to continue to work. And what do I need to leave there that I don't need to bring with me? So it's just been an evolutionary process. I love that. And the, what you said was fail fast. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the big things that I teach to homeschooling my kids. I encourage them to fail. You know, I heard Sarah Blakely one time talk about how every night at the dinner table, instead of celebrating successes, they would celebrate failures. Yes. I've heard that. I love that. And I remember hearing that and it was a pivotal moment in how I raised my kids and how I taught them with homeschooling because I wanted them to fail fast and to not fear failure because our successes really are birthed from that failure. Yeah. So I love that you said that. So can you share a time where maybe you feel like it was a failure in your business and you were able to pivot and just maximize that success even after a failure? Yeah, I think so over the last, <laughs> this is, this is my current story, I guess over the last year and a half, I went into kind of like, you know, I was behind the scenes. I was in that shell mode where I'm like, I'm going to do as much as I can without having to actually put myself out there. I really wasn't in the space to show up regularly on social media. Um, I had been doing that so much that I was just tired and I was in trauma mode and I just needed to be a little inward. So I got kind of addicted to building courses. <laughs> like, and it was a, I look back and I'm like, that was kind of a fail. I made like 17 different programs just in 2020, you know, and you know how courses work. That's like, tiny offer, order bump, one-time offer on the back end, all the little things that go with a course. It was like all the pieces. And I just kept creating, creating, creating courses because that was the easy part. That was the fun part, but the actually putting them out there and seeing it through, I was holding back. So I consider that a fail, but now looking back, I'm like, but I'm really good at building a course. <laughs> like, in, there's always lessons in, like you said, in the failure. And I'm learning like the obstacles and the things that have tripped us up 
you have to pay really close attention to those because that's usually where the lesson and the refining comes. I love the concept of like we're given weakness and we have weakness because that's where our strengths actually lie. And so I look at, okay, my strength is actually, I know myself, my strength is in putting myself out there and being a voice and being a light to other people. So I failed in the concept that I wasn't doing that last year, but I grew some strengths that are actually going to help me show up even stronger now. So yeah, does that make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. And I love how you're putting yourself out. And I was, I remember in one of the clubhouse rooms, you said, you talked about how you're stepping into your power, whereas before you held back. What does that look like for you as a mom and a wife? Oh man, I mean, that's a whole can of worms, right? You've heard me, you've heard my inner monologue processing on Clubhouse, probably more than I intended to share, but I think it's- That's the beauty of Clubhouse. Yeah, it's very raw. It's very vulnerable. So yeah, for me, it was, you know, I had this ideal when I started business and I could see myself, there was no, there was really no ideal to follow though. So I had to make up my own ideal of like, man, I can, I can make a million dollars and be a mom and do all the things I'm totally capable of anything. And then when I went, you know, and felt like I really lost that power, I started to spin new stories because I had been super successful, making a lot of money, taking my family on awesome vacations. And really like I was in the zone and I was creating from a place of power and I was owning that. And then when I reverted kind of back because of bad things happening in business, hard things happening, I started, like I said, to spin the story of like, man, when I was working, when I was working mom, I probably neglected my kids. I was like, I started focusing on all the things I had done wrong as a mom while I was working. And I lost sight of the gift that I had actually given my kids. And I had this aha moment because I have three kids that are 11, nine, and six and a half. My daughter is the baby. So I have two boys and a girl. And I kind of like had shamed myself and told this story that like, I missed out on so much of her childhood and, and she's probably gotten like neglect issues. And this is so funny because I've always worked from home and it's only been for like a handful of hours a day. So I've been with her more than I have not been with her. Right. And then I looked at her and I was like, she's extremely independent. She can entertain herself. Like she loves me to play with her, but her imagination is wild. It's wilder and more creative than I ever had as a kid. And I had this moment of like, oh my gosh, she has that because you have been the mom you've had, that you've been. If you had coddled and been there 100% of the time, this creativity may not have emerged. She may not be this independent, driven person. Also, my kids have seen their mom as an entrepreneur, and I know I'm inspiring a culture of entrepreneurship in our family. I just have had to change my, my expectation and perception of what successful motherhood looks like because it's different than what my mom's looked like, mm. and hers was great. So powerful. And we talk a lot about that in the homeschool CEO community, you know, because I think a lot of us deal with that mom guilt because of the stories we tell ourselves on how we define quote unquote, what a successful mom looks like. Mm -hmm. And you're right. But like you said, it was so true. We're raising a generation of entrepreneurs. And when entrepreneurs raise entrepreneurs, these kids don't know boundaries. They don't, they, they haven't been confined to these boxes of, you know, maybe traditional schooling, not that all traditional schooling is bad, but, you know, to be told, no, you have to do it this way, or you're going to get a red X on your paper because it's wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been encouraged to fail instead of being penalized for failure. They're encouraged to think outside of the box instead of follow the crowd. All of those things as entrepreneurs, 
we teach and homeschool so differently than traditional schooling, but the end product is these independent, creative leaders. I mean, they're little leaders that can change the world. Yeah. and, And that's hard to adjust to when you don't have like, and that's why it's so great. You have this community to instill that and remind women to focus on that. Because when you don't have people rallying around that and you have, you know, my whole neighborhood, all my friend group, my local friend group, I have like one homeschool mom friend, right? And so if I'm not surrounded, <laughs> if I'm not surrounded by more people who understand the paradigm that I'm looking through, then I'm going to start to question and doubt myself on, is this even going to work? Am I going to raise the dumbest kids ever who aren't going to be able to get their GED? I mean, how many of you guys listening have that train of thought where you're like, I'm totally going to fail. This is going to be so embarrassing. I'm supposed to be raising geniuses, but I'm actually raising like the next generation of dummies. <laughs> I mean, that's where I spiral to, you know, because, but then at the end of the day, when I, when I read the right books and I get in the right headspace, I'm like, Oh no, no, no. I remember I'm doing this because I have conviction about a different way of doing it. Have you ever read the book Outwitting the Devil? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's my recommendation to everybody listening. It's the very first book I ever read five years ago. Not the first book I ever read the first like businessy personal development book. And it was written by Napoleon Hill, who also wrote Think and Grow Rich. I've read that written one. In, yeah. It was written in the thirties, I believe, but not published till 2011. Like the Hill Foundation didn't want it to come out because it was so controversial. And homeschool moms will love this because he tears apart the education industry and how it's really only built to create factory workers. Like this is the thirties, you know, he was onto this early, early on and saw the pattern of, it's really fascinating. He talks about things that were way ahead of its time. So anyway, that's my plug for my favorite book. (laughs) That's amazing actually. And that's something that I talk with a lot of moms that are struggling with homeschooling because they're trying to recreate public school at home. Yeah. And when we talk about what public school it was designed to do, and what are we comparing ourselves to? We're, if we're quote unquote failing by the traditional school standards, is that really a standard you want to meet anyway? Right. No. No. I mean, for some, for some families it is. Mm-hmm. Like if you, certain professions, if that's where your kid wants to go, maybe you do need a little more of a traditional education, but it really is unique. And as entrepreneurs, so often we buck the system anyway. Oh yeah. You know, I was talking to a gal yesterday and she said, ditch the status quo or status quo ditchers. That's what she called herself. I'm like, Oh, that we're going to put that in our tagline status quo ditchers. That is what we are because we're going, yeah, you know, we're not, you know, dissing on anybody who wants to do it a different way. But at the same time, we're like, that's not for us Mm -hmm. either way. Like, you know, from the homeschool side or the traditional education side, both of it, we're like, no, we're just going to do our own thing. You know, we're going to do it the entrepreneur way. Thank you very much. Yep. Well, and the interesting thing is, as I read that book five years ago, I had never considered homeschooling, never in my wildest dreams or my wildest nightmares had I ever even thought about that being my path (laughs) because I grew up so traditional, you know, I loved, I actually had really bad experiences in school, but at the end of the day, I love, you know, I have this still like the, oh, I love the smell of this, or I love this memory and this teacher, but overall, not the greatest. I grew up in Las Vegas and it was just not a great school. Bless my parents. They tried. Um, But it's not their fault. It was a broken school system. And so when I read that book though, and it talked about, and I started to study really the principles of entrepreneurship and we're doing this so we don't have to stay stuck in a grind of nine to five. Why would I send my kid to school to do the same exact thing? Like, and I understood that. So I actually tested homeschooling a few years ago, like four years ago with just my oldest and we hated it. I had no plan. I think I just went in without any kind of like expectation or any kind of 
not, I don't even want to say the perfect plan. I just wasn't, I wasn't ready. I wasn't emotionally ready. I didn't. And I was also just starting my business, the one that became really, really successful. So, um, but then when, when it came back down to it again, it was very much just like, what are we doing? I don't like this. I don't want to continue. We moved to Tennessee and the schools here are highly, highly rated. And in my creative brain, I'm thinking, it must be really cool. Like Montessori, like they just create these wonderful, well-rounded children. And it's actually really good schools because they produce great test results. They base it on the outcomes. And so when my kids were starting to have the same experiences I had in elementary school of getting in trouble for just expressing themselves and talking, I was like, nope, we're not doing this. You're home. <laughs> so now round two is going way better, but it doesn't mean that overnight I was like, I'm totally confident. I've got this all figured out because I know how to be an entrepreneur. So surely I can be a homeschool mother. <laughs> In some ways, they're very different. But see, you didn't have the homeschool yeah. CEO community behind you before. Exactly. Now exactly. you do. So it's totally yeah. different. <laughs> All right. So I always have a question because you started from a place where you didn't have, um, you know, you didn't have seven figures, but now you, that's where you are. Were you the first generational wealth in your family? Yeah. How did that affect your relationship with those around you, your family and close friends from like childhood? Um, you know, in a bunch of different ways, I guess, depending on the person, right. With my, with my immediate family, nothing but support and love. It's been really awesome. And they have never crossed. I've been very blessed. They've never crossed boundaries of like expecting me to give them money or anything like that. I've actually loved spoiling everybody that I can. I love giving back to them, especially my parents, because they supported us. We had to live with them when we were out of work and when we were in the really like the depths of despair with, you know, newlywed life and college and so it, that was really, really healthy. And that was really, really great. Um, there was, and I, it really, I guess, depends on when we're talking because before I was very, very vocal about, we're going to make seven figures, we're going to become millionaires. And so in the beginning, they didn't really get it. And as we transitioned to entrepreneurship, my family was like, what do you mean? What are you, what are you talking about? Like, what are you doing? And there was a little bit of like, I don't know how to support that because that's so foreign to me. Then as the money showed up, I was no longer chasing the invisible rabbit that only I could see. Right. So now it's like, Oh, I get, Oh, wow. That, yeah, this is working. Look at you. You're so successful. This is amazing. And so then it was like full support, all hands on deck. Like this is awesome. Um, and then as far as like friendships and relationships, I think it was mostly, I started changing the lives of friends because my language was so comfortable with money that I would have friends that would be like, I've, this is making my skin crawl. I've never had somebody be able to talk about money in this way and not feel weird about it. And they started changing their perceptions and they started attracting more and they started believing in things that they never had the, you know, the courage to believe in. So I would say overall, I had very positive experiences for quite a while. And then it became like, I think I, I, I was, I was kind of like the nerdy person who was making a lot of money, but still shops at like Ross, you know, like, <laughs> like the most frugal rich person, but that's how you stay wealthy. Right. And, and I just remember, like, I think it was weird to me that I didn't like that people started treating me differently when they knew I had money though, like more strangers, acquaintances, I was suddenly much more important because I had success and wealth. And I didn't like that. I like to be loved for me and for who I am and what I'm sharing more than my status. That was really, really hard. I was like, Oh, I'd rather you not know how rich I am. Actually. I'm not going to share that anymore because it changes. I so understand what you, where you are coming from right there. Yeah, I get that. Been there, done that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the reasons that I'm such a big believer in like masterminds. Yeah. 
because it puts you in the right room with the right people that are at your level or higher. So you don't always have to be the highest one in the group. That's one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons I love our clubhouse room too, that we have every week because, you know, nobody feels like everybody belongs Mm -hmm. and all of the people that we're bringing along for the ride that are in the audience that we love when they come and they come up on stage and chat with us, you know, they're, they're one of us. We're not, we're not at all these different levels. I think that's why I like clubhouse in general too. Yeah, I agree with you. That's true. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about your journey, but you haven't exactly told us what you did to go from, like, what were the businesses that you started and what did those look like? Cause I, in the homeschool CEO community, we have lots of six figure earners, but they're kind of stuck mm-hmm. at that six figure mark, you know, like, cause you can hustle your way to a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, you can, yeah. yeah, you can maybe even hustle your way to 200,000, but once you get past that 150, 200,000, you have to do some things differently. So what were your businesses? What got you past that point? Okay. So this is, my story is going to be a unicorn story in that way. And I'm just going to relate to everybody listening that I'm, I'm not starting over because I'm not starting at ground one or square one, but I'm really starting a whole new business model right now. Like I'm taking all the experience and starting again. So the thing that I've earned the seven figures with, I no longer do. And that was, you know, I mentioned having a podcast and having a really large network that grew really fast. I joined a direct sales company and I did that for a few years and that grew really quickly. And I will attribute that more than anything to the intention that I had set that I was like, I'm going to be a seven figure earner. I'm going to make a lot of money. And never again, it was like homeschool. I never planned to go that route, but I believed in the product. I believed in the business model for that time. And so I jumped in and I did it. And because of all the work I'd done when I wasn't selling anything, when I had hundreds of people who'd been on my podcast, when I was truly building for like the intention of just wanting to get to know people and hear their stories, that right there served in a big way. And I grew very, very rapidly. So I made seven figures within a year and a half, two years of doing a brand new business. Wow. And it was because I leveraged that network. So the, and also I will say that the pattern, so I did Amazon FBA. I, I started doing the little like online shop and I was like, this is so much work to keep sizing in for little girls and like to understand what I'm doing. So that quickly went away. FBA was really great. But the funny thing is after doing Amazon, we started talking about it with people, right? And so we actually made more money selling a program, teaching other people how to sell on Amazon than we made from actually selling on Amazon. And in direct sales, again, the thing that I leveraged that was the number one uh, biggest thing that helped me to grow so fast was education. I created an entire academy for my team for replication and duplication that just it spread like wildfire because I was the only one who had such proprietary tools available. Um, so looking back now, I'm like, the thing that I've always excelled at is the education. I, you know, I'm really good at teaching people processes and how to replicate success. And so now like last year when I created those courses, it wasn't like I created 17 and never sold any, you know, I shared that as a failure. I made a really good amount of money selling them. It's just, I didn't have like a cohesive path if I'm only going to sell this funnel, right? So I tested out and I taught some of the processes that I had done in um, direct sales and was able to turn those into courses. Now that I had the freedom, because when I was in the company, I couldn't do things like that. It was very much tied to that business model. And now that I'm out, I can actually promote the things that I'm passionate about and sell programs, teaching people how to achieve success. So that's a really probably not the answer you're expecting, but if you know how to make it once you can make it again, even if the business model is different because the principles of success are the same. Ooh, so good. What would you say are the principles of success? 
Well, obviously, like I said, failing fast. <laughs> so muddling your way through until you find, and you and I are geeking out over Facebook ads, right? Like we both love this. And I think that's the perfect example of put it out there, see what works. So many people want to get it so, so perfect. And the, you know, the principles of success are like failing fast, getting it out there, testing, being willing to just gather information and to have fun and to build real connection. That's, I think, another principle of success is like build true authentic connection that is not just based around the bottom line and not based around the outcome at the end, because I've done that part too, right? Like when you're just running Facebook ads to a program and there's really no personal connection, that's not very gratifying and it doesn't last very long. And then I think just being willing to have focus, I think that's something I've had to learn the hard way is I had a, I had a really, really dear friend who actually passed away from cancer last year, who was on my podcast. She was a social media influencer and we had the best conversation when I interviewed her and she talked about, it's like going to target and having six shopping carts. You'll eventually get through the store. It's going to be quite a show and it's going to be quite a mess, but if you have one, you're going to get out faster. And that really bit us in the butt because a couple of years later we did pinners conference, which is like Pinterest live. And we went to target and had six shopping carts. We were loading up for our booth and we we're like, this is like, this is bad karma. And it was true. It was so hard. We lost carts in the parking lot. They were running away. <laughs> and it was just a lesson in reality. Like I can, I can build 17 courses and have them do okay. Or I can build one really, really good program and have it change lives. I can build real transformation. So I think that's something else too, that as moms, we're so multi-passionate and we want to change the world for every person. And that is one thing that I've learned. You know, they've written whole books about it. The one thing, but it's true. Um, fail fast and make all those messes and try all those things so that you can quickly arrive at the thing that you're truly meant to do. Absolutely. Simplify to amplify all the way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last thing. What is the number one resource that you would recommend for somebody who is at the six figure mark wanting to scale to the seven figure mark? Probably uh, you. (laughs) I can't help people do that, but no. Is there a book or a course that you've taken that you're like, wow, that book changed my life or that course or that listening to that podcast? other than yours, because obviously I know your podcast was really instrumental because of all the guests you had on it, right? You learned from your guest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I will say I just re-listened to Outwitting the Devil probably three or four times now that I've listened to that. And it's got the fire lit where I am ready to like push things to the next level. If you combine that with Think and Grow Rich, you've got a recipe for like no brainer success. That's, that's a hard one to answer. A tool to take you to seven figures. That's so funny because our, our brand, my husband and I are building together is literally called Scale Your Influence. Oh, love it. So I'm like, well, us, <laughs> like what we're doing, obviously, but a specific book or course. I will say I love if, if your audience hasn't listened to this podcast, the Mind Your Business podcast with James Wedmore. That's, that's probably my favorite one. And I love podcasts for that purpose. If you're not just consuming it in a book and it's one strategy, it's an ongoing learning experience. And as you go through the different phases, oh yeah, they have an episode on that. We can talk about this in real time. And obviously Clubhouse, right? Like, and, and I think being an early adopter of platforms and allowing yourself and giving yourself the opportunity my goal this year is like, not just to go viral because I want to be famous, but like people are going viral every day and I want to get in front of more people because now I believe in the product that I'm selling and the transformation that I'm offering. And so if you want to scale, you've got to scale the amount of people that you're reaching. You've got to get out of your shell and get out of your comfort zone. So my first answer is almost going to be like, make sure you're running some ads. But the other thing behind that is like create real good content, not just curated perfection, but like 
connect and have conversations so that you can scale by reaching more and more and more people. It seems so obvious, but I think a lot of us don't do it. We just think, oh, we'll just keep creating in our little bubble, but it's like, no, no, no. More people need to hear from you, and now you know what you're doing, so talk to them. <laughs> Absolutely. It's kind of like the first time I got up and modded a room in Clubhouse. People are like, were you scared? I'm like, absolutely. Absolutely, I was scared, and I did it anyway. <laughs> yep. You know, and then now I love it. Yeah, and I didn't have to be as scared because I had you on my side, and you're like, I've done this. Let me tell you how it's done. <laughs> yeah, I think that they're way less scary. Yeah, I think that room was like my, I don't remember if it was second or third room. I had not, but we all started at the same time. That's yeah. the beauty of being an early adopter. Nobody knows what they're doing. Exactly. I was in a big room the other day, and the moderators were, some of them were new and they were unmuting their mics. You know, nobody knew what they were doing, and we're still new. We're still in beta. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Kirsten, this has been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Tell our audience where they can find you. All right, you can find me on all the social platforms, just at Kirsten Tyrell. You can head to my website. Do people still do that? If you do, it's just kirstentyrell.com. You can connect on Clubhouse, Instagram. I'm working on TikTok and Facebook. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Pretty easy. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jen. Friend, that was so good. Do you agree with Kirsten's fail faster philosophy? And are you encouraging your kids to do that too? Shoot me a DM on IG and let me know how do you encourage your kids and yourself to embrace failure as part of the entrepreneurial journey to success. I would love to hear from you before we meet again here next week. Sound good? Talk to you later. Hey friend, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in today. If you loved what you heard, please be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I really appreciate it. And for more information on connecting with other homeschool CEOs just like you, be sure to check out our website at www.homeschoolceo.com. And as always, Team Homeschool CEO, you ladies inspire me. Thank you for always showing others what is possible. You guys are awesome. See you next week.